0: Okay, so we're going to be looking at the uh, next three weeks, uh, a series called Refreshment. Basically, it looks at kind of restarting, re-kicking, as it were, our spiritual life. If maybe it been, hasn't been as, you know, kicking on all maybe eight cylinders as we would like to. Uh, maybe hasn't been moving at, forward as much as we like it to be. Sometimes we get stuck spiritually. Uh, this is designed to kind of get us back to some basics, you know, so today we'll be talking about returning to our first love. Uh, next week about the, uh, how to uh, kind of kickstart our prayer life or enhance it along with the scriptures. And the last week we'll be looking at how to live in unity, uh, which can be actually a major stumbling block to decreasing the vitality of our, spirit, of our spiritual life if we're not living in, in unity. But how we live in unity and mission, how we reach out to others. That also can be a reason for our spiritual life not really being as vital as we think and know it could be for not really reaching out to others in some way. So, so today we'll be looking at returning to our first love. So let's begin with some prayer first. We'll begin in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Father, we do come into your presence this morning. We thank you for your word in the scriptures. Thank you for the gift and the treasure it is. And thank you, Lord, for the authority that it has in our life that is truly inspired by you, is truly given to us with a faithfulness and a reliableness for us to live out and walk in our path of salvation. So this morning, Lord, we pray that you would um, break open your word for us, give us fresh revelation and understanding of your word, so that our spiritual life can truly become all that we know inside it can be, and all that we know that you want it to be. So help us to hear afresh this morning the message from the book of Revelation, the church of Ephesus in particular, as they too were being called by your son to return to their first love. And we pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. So if you haven't turned your Bibles yet, uh, we're going to be looking at Revelations 2, verses 1 through 7, uh, for this, just this week. We'll be looking at different passages each week. The notes are just simply to kind of capture some of the thoughts. Really, we'll be looking at the text itself, mostly. As you're turning there, have you ever had the experience where um, something that you used to do a lot and that you loved, somehow as time went on, you just kind of moved away from it, kind of ha- doesn't have the of uh, kind of like the excitement, enthusiasm that it once did, as more of a kind of a, uh, as it kind of was, a toned-down approach and you think to myself, you think to yourself, gee, I remember when, you know, I remember when when I was really eager to do this, or maybe it's a playing a musical instrument. I remember when I used to play that musical instrument with a great deal of zeal and fervor. now. It's like, you know, it's, you know, I can't seem to get back to it, you know, uh, or it doesn't seem to be as attractive to me as it once was. Sometimes people find that in their marriages where the you know, honeymoon period is over with, Right. And it doesn't, and the marriage doesn't have the kind of uh, vitality that it once had at the beginning. You know, well, so that can happen with our spiritual life as well. And so, uh, we'll see today in the Book of Ephesus, the Church of Ephesus, how they too had that vitality at one time, and it kind of got glossed over. And we'll, we'll be surprised as we look at this church today, because it was a church that, by all standing today, would be. Blue ribbon, okay? Uh, but, but um, you know, but it's, uh, Jesus had some other things to say about the church that he didn't, he thought that they missed out on, which was important to him. So let's take a look. Uh, first of all, just to give you a little bit of background to the book of Revelation, and particularly chapter two that we'll be looking at here this morning. Jesus speaks to the church of Ephesus, and he speaks what's called prophetic messages, which are messages to help people Hear afresh his word to them about how to live their life. It isn't anything new; it's just done in a fresh way. Okay. Now Jesus, of course, by this time has risen, gone back to his Father, so he's working through the Holy Spirit in, in amongst the churches. And uh, so let's take a look at that. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through seven. We're just going to read this morning, focusing on that. So to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear evil men, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, but are not and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently, bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from what, from what you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Okay, so we're going to take a look at these seven verses. And uh, first of all, um, you notice in verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. What is the angel? Um, the angel uh, could be a guardian angel of a church, or it also could refer to the bishop. Of the church, okay. So it can be either way. Um, the Church of Ephesus. Take a look at the Church of Ephesus. Very interesting church in the ancient world. It was the mother of all churches in the, ancient, in the Asiatic world at that time. Uh, it was a, had a population, the city that is, of two hundred thousand people. It's a major center of commerce, government, and religion. Um, it was located uh, between uh, Jerusalem and Antioch and Rome. So it was a major. Uh, transportation pathway there. The Church of Ephesus um, is the first of the seven churches in the Book of Revelation that Jesus addresses his prophetic words to. It was a church that a lot of Christian missionaries would stop off at. It was a church in its day that was exciting to be part of. A lot of ministries going on. A lot of stuff happening that was uh, in the Lord. That was good. You know, uh, it was a it was a church that um, you know, took some strong stands against some of the false teaching that went on even in their midst. And it was a church that, uh, by all standards, as I mentioned, was a church that was, uh, would be like your blue-ribbon church or blue-ribbon parish of today, in that sense. Um, Christianity flourished in Ephesus. The book of Acts, chapter 19, kind of talks about Paul going there and establishing that church there. Paul also spent about two and a half years in Ephesus, training uh, and raising up leaders there. You know, um, So it was Paul's church that he founded. Timothy was uh, his... He mentored Timothy so that Timothy could become a bishop of Ephesus. Some historians, church historians, say that in its heyday, the church was as big as 50,000 people. So, so it was a, quite an influential church in the ancient world. So looking at verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write... The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who are the seven stars or what are the seven stars? They refer to the bishops of these seven churches. Ephesus is the first church of the seven that Jesus addresses with his prophetic words. Jesus holds the bishops, so he guards the bishops is what that's referring to. Um, Also, look at verse 1 there. He says, uh, who walks among the seven golden lampstands which means that Jesus is in the midst of his people. He he is engaging his people. How is he doing that? He's doing that through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He is walking among his people. So we have a sense here right off in verse 1 that this church has, Christ has his eyes on this church. He's intimately involved in this church, but that he's acting amongst the church. So, you know, um, by all standards, it's something that we want, that we would want for ourselves. Um, the Ephesus church was located in a society that had a lot of different religions to it. Um, as I mentioned, it was a tremendous city of commerce and government, but it had a, a syncretism of different kinds of religions, religious rites, and so on, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Other churches that are addressed in the book Revelation, there are six other ones besides Ephesus, they're located in different kinds of Cultural scenarios: Some are in poverty. Some are being persecuted. You know, some have false teaching. Some compromise with the world around them. So there's different issues that Jesus will address each church with its own particular issue. Ephesus, as we'll see in a moment, has its own issue to we'll look at. Somebody once described the letters that Jesus writes or speaks to the church at Ephesus and the other churches as like the penitential rite at mass. That is, the potential right is say, hey, get your hearts right, because what's going to follow is wonderful. <laughs> so you want to be ready to receive it. So these letters are kind of a way to get your hearts right. It's because what God wants to do among you is going to be absolutely wonderful. Okay. So, all right. So let's take a look. Uh, moving to verse 2. Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear evil men. But i tested those who call themselves apostles. I'll just stop right there for a minute. So first of all, Jesus said, I know your works. Works refers to their labor in ministry or their ministries that they establish. That's what he's speaking to. He says, and your patient endurance. Patient endurance is a phrase that comes up seven times in the book of Revelation. It's a very common phrase. It refers to having trust in the Lord um, for the long haul. Okay, So it's a confidence and trust in him even when you're going through impoverished situations or persecuted situations. It's developing and cultivating a trust in the Lord. Now, one thing I want to mention, too, here is that Jesus is addressing the letters. And he is not only Savior here, but he is judge. Now, remember in the Creed, we call him judge of the living and the dead? We confess that in the Creed. Well, here in the book of Revelation, he is, he's going to be the one who evaluates the churches. Okay. And then he'll, he'll prescribe a prescription, for them, okay, write a prescription for them, but he's he's really going to be evaluating them, um, and 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 then calling them into a new approach or making adjustments in their their life. And again, we'll see in a moment. It's all for the purpose of bringing about a vital Christianity in this church. And you say, well, isn't this church pretty vital already? We're going to see in a moment where Jesus didn't think so. Okay. Okay. So verse. Uh, if you look it down at verse 3 here, look back at verse 2. Again, the second part of that, who call themselves apostles but are not and found them to be false. There were uh, people giving false teaching um, in the church of Ephesus. So we'll come back in a minute as to what they what that false teaching was. But but the church of Ephesus like had its eye on these guys and saying they weren't teaching what's comp- – uh, Measure it with and aligned with Scripture and an Apostolic tradition. So we want to correct that. And Jesus says, "Hey, you guys are doing really good with that. You have your eye on false teaching. And you're trying to eliminate it from your midst." So Jesus is saying, "Kudos to you guys on that. Okay, you're doing a good job with that." Now, verse three: I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, which means they have and not, have not grown weary, which means they are going through persecution. Okay, so. And then verse 4, if I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Okay. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. I mean, after all, uh, being, they're doing all these works of ministry. They're getting rid of false teaching. You know, they're, uh, they're enduring patiently. You know, they're, go- they're going through persecution some tough times. They're doing okay with it, you know. And Jesus said, I-, I got something against you guys. you abandon abandoned the love you had at first. So this is kind of very revealing. And the Greek, it means they lost their first love. It means they're no longer responding wholeheartedly to the one who loved them and shed his blood on the cross for them. Now you may think, geez, they're doing all this stuff for him. They're not responding wholeheartedly to them? What's he looking for? What's he interested in? Well, you know how it is that you can do something by mechanics or formula or by rote and not have your heart in it? It could be something at work, it could be sometimes prayers we say, you know, uh, it could be just normal activities. This is where this church was going. They had a lot of good ministries going on, but they weren't focusing upon a love and affection for Jesus that they had when they first came into a relationship with him. In other words, what was missing from their hearts, although they had all these great things going on, they were missing an affection, a love for the person of Jesus and what he did for them. We do that, right? Even in our closest of relationships, if, we don't, if we're not careful, we can go through the functions of things and not have the affection and the kind of love to a person. Even though we're doing what seemingly is we're we supposed to be doing, right? So here is the church at Ephesus doing the work of ministry. And Jesus says, You're doing it without an affection for me. You're doing it without a heartfelt love for me. Jesus is not interested in going through the motions. He's interested in a relationship of love with him. So I think it's really important for all of us to know, because in the Christian life, it's easy to say, oh, I pray every day. But is my heart really in it? You know, or am I going through the motions? Am I doing it because I need to get it in? St. Augustine said that we can, he says this, if we pray, he says, with our words and our heart and our head aren't in it. He says, we haven't prayed at all. <laughs> so so the, the difficulty and the challenge for us is that, that to love him, to have a desire for him, and to seek him, is what he was asking for this church. Let's take a look at what he says is the remedy here. I have this against you, verse four, that you have abandoned love you have first. And remember then from what you from what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Okay, so verse five here, remember then where from what you have fallen. In other words, go back and rekindle the romance, basically. Go back and rekindle the way it was when you first came into a relationship with me. So, go back and remember, go back, doll up in your memories what it was like when you first came to me. You didn't know me, didn't really know that much about me, you know, and you heard about me through people that were talking about Jesus, and your heart became drawn to me, and you began, took the steps of initial conversion, perhaps, um, or steps towards reawakening in your life. Uh, my re- relationship with you. And he says, remember that. So Jesus puts his finger on our memories. And he says, go back and remember what it was like. And we, and we hear that a lot today with, um, you know, what marriage counselors say to couples that are maybe struggling in their marriage. Go back and remember what it was like at the beginning. You know, dial up some of those memories. Kind of rekindle some of those experiences, you know recapture the romance, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. Go back and recapture the fervor of love you had in the beginning. For all of us, that may be different, but what Jesus is saying is there's a memory in us where that there was a beginning where things were initiated and we had a fervor and a zeal and a seeking after him that perhaps we kind of moved away from. So, So, remember, verse 5. So, remember is a particular important word there. And then he says, remember, then for which you've fallen, repent. That's the other word here. The word repent means, mentadoia, it means to change one's mind. John the Baptist was called the people of Israel to repentance, which means to change your heart and mind, attitudes and values, reorientate yourself because of what was coming, which was the Messiah. Jesus, when he came onto the scene in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The word repent means to stop everything, put a halt to everything, stop and do an about face. In other words, do change your mind, change your direction. If you're headed north, turn around and head south. In other words, that's the nature of the word repentance. Um, sometimes it involves initial conversion, like I'm a person that maybe. Is not a Christian, and they start to become a Christian, okay? But here it's referring to what the Catholic Church calls, and the Catechism calls, a second conversion. A second conversion. Second conversion is that for people that are baptized, been confirmed, have received the Eucharist, you know, they're, you know, um, card-carrying Catholics, you know, <laughs> fully members of the Catholic Church, right? And they kind of lost that, Fervor and zeal for the Lord, you know, and their relationship with him that maybe they had at one time. Well, Jesus is saying, the church is saying there's a second conversion. I can come in a, a wide variety of ways, but that the point is that there's a second conversion is what this passage is talking about here. Um, so Jesus is saying, you're no longer responding wholeheartedly to loving me like you did at the beginning. Therefore, remember and now repent, right? Okay, and then what else does he say here? And do the works you did at first. Well, what are the works that they did at first? We'll say, aren't they doing the works? I mean, they're pretty active in ministry, this, this group of God, people, you know? So what were the works that he's talking about? Well, the works is the works of loving the brethren. Here's the the thing. When we lose our fervor for Jesus and heartfelt love for him, then two things take place. is that orthodoxy, doctrinal orthodoxy, which means that uh, faithfulness to the teaching of Scripture and the church's teaching um, and the apostolic tradition becomes diminished, and love for one another becomes diminished. What he was taking them to task with is that you moved away from a wholehearted love for me and you also moved away from a love with each other. In other words, you were just treating each other in a functionary way and weren't having a fervor and a love for your brethren. Okay, so, love, lack of love for Jesus means lack of love for the brethren. Fervency of love for Jesus on fire for him, on fire with love for the brethren. Those two always match, they're always aligned. So Jesus is more interested in the love for the brethren than he is in the specific ministries, you know, um, or the works or the labor that they're going through. Okay. All right, verse 6 here. Yet in this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Okay, who were these folks? Well, actually, they were Christians. Well, pseudo Christians. Okay, they were in their midst as Christians. They were teaching heresy or false teaching. Basically, in the society of this time, because of the syncretism, uh, syncretism of religions, so a lot of religions. One of the things that was common in the society was you can practice liturgical rites and also at the same time practice sexual immorality. It didn't matter what. Um, liturgical rites there were. It could be multiple uh, religious rites and worship rites. But they were basically saying, you can also practice sexual morality. And the Christians in the church of leadership were saying, no, 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 you can't do that. Okay, well Two parts. One is, we only worship God the Father through his son Jesus in the power of his spirit. We don't worship all these other uh, religious rites and different kinds of religions that were going on. And secondly... You just don't go out and practice sexual immorality tied to the religious rites. That's totally incompatible with the teaching of Jesus and the apostolic tradition. So the, the church at Ephesus was correcting the Christians in their midst who were teaching that. <clears throat> so uh, and Jesus was saying, hey, that's good. Verse 6, he's saying here, yet this you have, you hate the works of Nicolaitans. Now, they weren't hating the Nicolaitans—they they were their brethren in a sense, fallen away. They hate the works that they were doing. So you can, you know, you can love the sinner but hate the sin. Okay, it's okay to do that—to hate the sin because the sin is destructive in this, to that person. But you can love the person. Verse seven: He who has an ear, then, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, what does he say here? The word "hear" means to. Um, reflect on, to listen, to obey, and to apply to our life. Okay, now here he says, he who has an ear, let him hear then what the Spirit, how is the Spirit saying this? The Spirit is is, um, working in the midst of the Christian church, in other words, the risen Christ is at the right hand of the Father, but he is working in the church of Ephesus through the Holy Spirit. How is he doing that? Well, one of the ways he's doing it is through the written scriptures, but also he's doing it through what's called prophetic words. What are prophetic words? I mentioned at the beginning this was a prophetic message. Um, It means that a Christian leadership or somebody in the Christian community will be speaking, as it were, uh, messages or speaking about teachings given to the Christian church that helps them live the way the Lord wants them to live in that community. So this letter of the book of Revelation, and particularly chapter 2 as we're looking at here, is called Prophetic Message, which means the Holy Spirit is speaking through, in this case, the leadership of the church to help realign the people's hearts with a fervor, a new love, and a new zeal for Jesus so they can love the brethren as well. Okay, So that's what's meant here by the Spirit. And then Jesus, to him who conquers, I'll grant to you grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Each of the letters that are addressed to the churches, um, there's always a promise at the end. And this is the promise here to the church at Ephesus, to him who conquers. The word for conquer here means overcome. It's the word that we get in the Greek. It's called Nike. Okay. Remember Nike? <laughs> okay. Well, this is where they got it from. Okay. They got it from the book of Revelation. Okay. It means the conqueror, it means the conqueror to overcome. So Jesus says the one who conquers or overcomes will eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, which means that he will reward them for their faithfulness of love for him and for the brethren. Okay. A couple things here just to wrap up, and then we'll talk practically how to apply this to our own lives. First of all, uh, Jesus is, is basically saying that First of all, the Christians at Ephesus are saved by grace. In other words, they're saved by the work of Christ on the cross. But they're judged by their works. And their works have to do with the works of love towards the brethren. So so Jesus, so no way are we saying, you know, because uh, uh, it's it's a kind of a work mentality salvation. I can work my way to heaven. No, we're saved by the outpouring of grace through the cross. But each of us will be judged by our works. And works here... Uh, means our just more than good deeds, it means our thoughts and our words and our deeds as well. Okay. So, in other words, Christ will do an evaluation of each of us as He's doing with this church with their words, their thoughts, and their deeds. Okay, so let's look at practically how do we apply this to our life? And if you Following your notes at all. I think it's on the back page here. Okay. Put it into action number five. Okay. Because first of all, I think um, each of us maybe remember, doll up some memories of what would be a healthy Christian walk or life. Maybe it's something we witnessed when we were young. Maybe it's something we had when we were young or Maybe it's people that we know now, or maybe it's stories that we've heard. Maybe it's the saints that we go to, right? Saints certainly had healthy Christian lives, you know. So, in other words, doll up in our memories uh, situations or scenarios or individuals or people that represent to you um, healthy, vital, alive Christian lives, I think that's one of the reasons why the Catholic Church gives us the saints in many ways. Because it says, hey, look at these folks. They're our elder, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And they exemplify a, a vital, alive uh, Catholic life, Christian life. So um, reading the stories, reflecting on them, learning about how they handle situations can, can doll up, it can be a memory for us of what a vital Christian life looks like. So remember is a key part. So, so in your own, maybe this week, let me take some time to think about what is a picture for me in my memory of a vital Christian life. What's that look like? You know, where have I experienced that before? Have I experienced that at one time in my life that my life was my life really on fire for Christ? That He was alive to me, and there's I just was like wanted to really grow in relationship with Him. You know, um, maybe that happened for you too. Okay, number two is repent. So we all can do that, right? Identify habits or patterns that are hindrances to love, and it doesn't. I'm not talking necessarily about the big sins, of course, if they, they exist, they're pretty obvious how to repent of them. But sometimes it's the things that we just kind of. I'll give you an example. Since I've been up here at Haverty Grace, uh, one of the things I've noticed that's a lot of I keep running into constantly are cobwebs. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I have, to, I have to admit, I've come to appreciate the beauty of cobwebs because they can really be pretty. I noticed it really struck me one day about, about them, but, you know, I was driving down 95, and my car had been parked outside all night, and I hadn't realized it, but I was driving down 95, and I 'd going like 65 miles an hour, right? And there on my uh, outside mirror is this cobweb with this spider on it. <laughs> I thought, these, these guys are really endured, don't they? You know? <laughs> So, but you ever walk through a cobweb and you got like this on you and like you think you get it off of you, but you're not sure, you know? Okay, well, that's kind of like what happens in our Christian life as we go along is that we get into habits and attitudes and it's like we walk through cobwebs and it's like we feel like something is on us and we just can't get rid of it. You know, we're not sure it's on but we know that it's bothering us. You know, it could be things like watching too much TV. You know, being exposed to too much stuff of the world through the media. You know, it could be looking at the wrong things. You know, on on the internet or what we read. In other words, it, we can just be exposed to too much stuff. You know, that can become like walking through a cobweb. It's like it's you know, something's not doesn't feel right, but it just. It's, but I'm familiar with doing it because I do it all the time, you know. Sometimes it's with things, if you heard my homily this week as far, it's things that we hold in our hearts to our relationships, like resentments and bitterness and things that we hold deep inside. And those things can diminish the vitality of our Christian life as well. Um, it could be some things like this. It's just like tre- going approaching spiritual things with a familiarness to them. Like, uh, you know, I've been doing this all my life, saying the prayers at Mass. You know, I'm so familiar with the prayers I just kind of rip right through them, you know? and I wonder where my head is after I said the prayer. Like, you know, uh, it's kind of like driving. We're so familiar with driving, sometimes we forget where we ended up, how we got there. You know, sometimes we can do that with our prayers as well. You know, um, so sometimes they're the areas we need to repent on because they're the areas that can diminish our first love. our fervor for the lord okay so repent remember then repent and last is return taking steps to come back to the lord now again we may feel like we're already there with him but we're talking about is kind of initiating a new fervor for him there's a lot of different things we can do with this one of the things we do here at saint patrick's is we pray over people if you've been to any of our seminars we pray over people to be filled with the holy spirit um, the Holy Spirit dwells in us if you're baptized confirmed Holy Spirit's already living in there so we're not talking about a new Holy Spirit it's the same Holy Spirit who's living in us but we pray for him to be released in our life with a greater zeal and fervor uh, in our life to make th- things come alive for us including our relationship to Christ and uh, that's what he does he the Holy Spirit's always making things new for us you know so we pray for uh, increase uh, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, increase of his presence and power working in our life. We found that to be a very helpful way to kickstart Catholic spiritual lives. You know, um, other things we can do is if we haven't been praying consistently, begin to, we call here, set an appointment with God. We'll talk more about that next week, but set an appointment with God, you know, each day and set aside 10, 15 minutes just to be with him. And, uh, Um, sometimes dedicating a certain amount of time and making a commitment to it can be a great way to coming back to him with a new fervor. Um, Things like you're doing here this morning certainly are great ways to come back to the Lord. This is what this Bible study is designed to do in some respects. Um, Other things may be that, um, and we'll see this down the road, Uh, In about two weeks, is kind of making a plan to reach out and share our faith with others. Could be through our words as well as our deeds. We'll talk more about that uh, in a couple weeks. But the concept of return is make a plan. Make a plan. Sometimes the simple plan is before coming to mass, maybe on a Friday or Saturday morning or Saturday evening for the weekend. Take some time to read the scriptures. You know, a lot of missiles today not only have the scriptures, they have the prayers, too. So it can be a great way to uh, just kind of have my heart and mind kind of focused on what is going to take place for me at the Mass uh, that weekend. So anyway, there's a lot of different things. There are just a few suggestions. But the whole idea is to make a plan to begin to come back to him, to reinitiate the fervor for him. So Jesus is prepared and eager to impart to us the fervor of his love for us that we can be filled with a fervor of love for him. He is eager to do that because he loves us. He loves you. He died for you. He's given the gift of his Holy Spirit to you. And He is so eager to impart to you a fervor of love for him because a fervor of love for him will spill over to a fervor of love for the brethren. So remember, repent, and return. All right, let's pray for just a minute, and then we'll open up for some questions, or comments, or thoughts. That you may have. So, Lord um, Jesus, we thank you that you come to us this morning through your word, and you speak a prophetic message to each of us, Lord. And so, how easy it is for us, Lord, to become so familiar with things that we're accustomed to that we kind of lose our our fervor, our initial fervor for you, our initial love for you. So we pray this morning, Lord, that you would, in each of our hearts here, that you would stir up within us uh, just a new hunger, new thirsting for you, what you're about, for a deeper relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to... Bring to our minds those memories, those times in our life, those individuals, those stories that we've heard that can rekindle the fire of your love. And show us, Lord, through the power of your spirit, the areas where we need to repent, the cobwebs that we've been walking through. We know that something doesn't feel right, doesn't seem right, but we're not sure so Lord, help us to have clarity about those things, so we can repent. And Lord, give us wisdom to create a plan, which we can begin walking in those things that will rekindle the fervor of Your love. And we pray all this to Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.